following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. So we've been, the past several weeks, except we took a week off for Thanksgiving last week, I've been looking at the topic of the end times and have tried to explain that biblically speaking, The better term is last days or latter days. And it's to be understood as the time period that's the play up to the time when the Lord will come and return and restore all things and judge the world and bring about the resurrection of the dead and so on. New heavens and new earth, the Bible calls it. And the time period, uh, that time period is called the last days. And according to the Bible, contrary to what many people think, began when the Lord came, the Lord Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And we've been in this, this time between the times, so to speak, ever since, which some have called the now but not yet. For in this time period, we've been given the, the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and we've been called by God to engage the powers of darkness, the evil in the world, death and all of its terrible fruit, and help people be restored to God prior to the Lord returning in, in judgment. We're going to be looking this morning at a passage that was read when I started this series, but we didn't really take time to, to focus on it. And it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, And I I referred to this originally a few weeks ago because it was very clear, Paul writing to his his protege, his young student, his apprentice, Timothy, who's leading a a Christian community in another place, he's encouraging him uh, to teach in a certain way, to act in a certain way because of the day in which they were living. And I, I chose this passage because it has been used by so many people, you'll see in a second, to think that he must be talking about our day, as if it's what we would call a prophetic passage, a passage in which Paul is writing something in his day that actually is talking about a day way later in the future. And then we look at what's happening today and we compare it to what's, being, what's written in 2 Timothy 3, and we go, that's us. Well, I think it is us. And it's been us for the past 2,000 years. We tend to think of the past in terms of golden ages, which is, if you actually think about it, is bizarre. But for the past, since the beginning of the creation, there have been good times and bad times. And most of the good times and bad times have been mixed. Some good, some bad, depending on your situation, You may get more of the good, more of the bad. But life has been a challenge for human beings ever since there's been human beings. And I I chose the Acts 20 passage because there again is Paul speaking. And he's telling the leaders of this large Christian community in this large city of Ephesus in modern day Turkey that ravenous wolves are going to come in among you and they're going to cause havoc within the Christian community. And we tend to think that the bad stuff happens outside 
of church. Well, I don't know what church you've attended, but bad stuff has existed in the church since the first century. And one of the reasons why church has been bad for a lot of people, it's been great for others. Maybe you. Maybe you, all you could, when you think of church, all you're, you're filled with warm fuzzies. But there have been millions of people. Is that an exaggeration? I don't know what the stats are on that. There have been so many people who have been brutally wounded within the church. Everything from those who have experienced sexual abuse, and that's been covered over by church leaders. Financial scandal and rip-offs. Hucksters who've made great promises, if only you would give to the church. Hypocrites are all over the human family in the church and outside the church. That's the problem. You know, people leave the church because of all the hypocrites in there. Where are they going? Are they going to go where there aren't hypocrites? I don't know where they are. Because human beings, like, we, you know, unless you're not in touch with yourself, I guess, we think we're pretty good, but we're messed up and we need a lot of help. And so this, this um, and so let's look at this passage. And when we realize Paul's talking about his day and it's applied to every day after that, then maybe we could actually do something about it. So Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days, there'll be, there will come times of difficulty. And that's what people go with. And then because things are so hard today, um, it must be talking about now, which it is. And every other now between Paul's time and now. Now, now. Verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. A lot of people, like when they're told by preachers that, you know, read the Bible so you can feel really warm and fuzzy inside in your heart, and um, you get to passages like this, you kind of wonder, why did they say that? Actually, it does help us a lot because the Bible is just full of, of making us face reality. So having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, and, and then he says, at the end of verse 5, avoid such people. So, I explained this weeks ago. Paul can't mean 2,000 years from their day if he's telling Timothy to avoid such people. He's talking about their day. Verse 6. From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. I'm going to comment on that in a little while. Burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly would be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And I'll just say it here. Paul is warning Timothy about the, this kind of horrible behavior among people that we call Christians. He's not talking about the people in the world outside of the church who don't believe in Jesus. He's talking about people who claim to believe in Jesus, that are part of Christian community, and yet they are 
I'm going to read it again. So all these terrible attributes. This is us. This is the grand us that we need to deal with. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue to what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to rush. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so as I said, Paul is writing this to Timothy about avoiding such people because of the day that this was happening, the day that he was in. And that might trouble some of us who believe the Bible, believe in Jesus, in thinking that somehow through Jesus, every, everything should be okay. Well, at least everything about our own lives and everything about our church lives, it should all be okay. But when Jesus came, he, he agitated everything. We like to look at him taking the little children on his lap and, and blessing them and some of those sweet scenes But if you actually read the Gospels, you see, he makes people upset all the time. As he shines, basically, it's like taking a a bright flashlight and shining in everybody's faces. Because people don't want themselves to be exposed. Actually, that's what we need. That's the only way to find healing and help and salvation. You know, you think, you know, when you go for an operation, you think about how vulnerable you are. And how exposed you are. Maybe you don't want to think about it. What they do to you after they put you to sleep. The only way to get better is by being exposed. And for letting, letting the light expose those things about our lives that are so destructive. And the thing that's even more destructive is when we hide them. It's one of the problems... And when we think, if we think the church is always supposed to be this nicey-nicey place and not-so-nice things begin to happen, but we insist it's supposed to be nicey-nicey, instead of exposing the evil, we put it under the rug, we hide it away, we stick it in the closet, and we don't talk about it. And it festers and festers and festers until it destroys. And that's why Paul makes this prescription. We have to expose the darkness so that we can deal with it. And to deny that is big, big trouble. So I'm not going to read again verses 2 through 5 for the sake of time. Um, The difficulty of the day that Paul and Timothy were living in was described as in terms of people's terrible behavior. Not their behavior, our behavior. And so it's really important to realize that he's not talking about the non-believers, the outsiders. He's talking about people who love self and money and are arrogant and proud within the Christian community. These were the people that Paul was warning the Ephesian elders about. 
that such people were going to come into their communities and wreak havoc. If you don't deal with it, you're in for big trouble. I think one of the things that, that we're not willing to accept is the reality of fakes. Is that self-contradictory? The reality of fakes. Fakes really exist. There are fakes among us. There are pretenders among us. And we need to take that seriously. And then Paul uses this example that is interesting. If you're listening on audio, it's air quotes, interesting. Verse six, verse 6 and 7, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdening, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. This term weak women, it sounds in our day, how dare somebody write something like this? But he's, he's, for some reason, it's possible this was a particular issue in Timothy's community, that there were women who struggled with their self-esteem, their understanding of who they were in God and were very easily influenced and led astray. And we could spend all sorts of time wondering why Paul could say something that we think is so sexist. Instead, we can go, this is not just about weak women, it's about weak people. That there have been, since the first century, people who have weaseled their way into the family of God and have taken advantage of people who didn't know better. They should have known better, but they didn't know better. And if they don't know better now, they should know better. But the fact is there are people that, that due to things that have happened to themselves, are very easily taken advantage of, and people come in and take advantage of them. And that is a big, big problem. And these are some, some of these people, weak-willed people, um, they're, you know, they're always, some of them are always, they're learning, they're learning. They seem so open to the truth. But it's like boinga, 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 boinga all over the place. They never settle on anything. They never resolve their issues. They, they're so needy that it, it's, it's like rain in a desert. It just, it just all dissipates and does no good. And yet it's so confusing because they seem so open. We need to be aware of bad intention false teachers taking advantage of the vulnerable. But there's the fate for the, their, their fate is sure. Verses 8 and 9, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, those are the traditional names given to the, the Egyptian magicians that um, caused some of the signs and wonders that Moses was doing by God's power to also be done. They were fakes. They were using spiritual power to fake truth. So these men also oppose the truth, talking about the false teachers, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So Paul is saying to Timothy, there's going to be false teachers taking advantage of the vulnerable in your, in your congregation. But he says they won't get very far, because their folly, their foolishness will be plain to all. Now, I don't want to disagree with Paul. Maybe, but he's probably, he's right. I think he's right. I think their folly, the folly of false teaching is plain to all. And yet, so often we choose to ignore it. 
We choose to ignore foolishness. Give money to God and you'll be rich. Foolishness. Unbiblical. Believe in Jesus and everything will be okay for you for the rest of your life. I sort of was kind of told that. I eventually saw the foolishness of it because it's just not true. The Bible teaches that our God is an ever-present help in time of trouble, not that we will not go through trouble. Leaders have gotten away with polygamous situations and have pulled all sorts of spiritual shenanigans in order to do it. I know of a congregation where that's happened. And you think, how could that be? Well, instead of thinking about them, we need to think about what we've tolerated and allowed to fester. And I wonder, and we've been in situations where something finally gets exposed and people start saying, well, I knew, I knew something was wrong. Well, why didn't you say something? Oh, I didn't know my business. Yeah, it's your business. It's your business. And now, you know, nowadays we live in a day, if we see, you, if, you know, you see kids in the park playing with matches, we say to our friend, oh, that's, they really shouldn't be doing that. We walk along because it's, it's not our business. But I remember being a kid, every adult thought it was their business to speak into the lives of every, every kid. Because they, they were responsible. We're responsible for one another. We are our brother's keeper. Yes, we can be meddlers and busybodies, but that's a different kind of extreme. We need to take responsibility to take care of each other, to speak into each other's lives, especially in the family of God. We're supposed to avoid those people, Paul tells Timothy. Here's another sign that he's not talking about people in the world because you can't avoid everyone. He says that somewhere in, in Corinthians. You can't avoid everybody. But when it comes to these people that are trying to bring bad influence into the church, they need to be avoided. Oh yeah, but they're really, you know, they've served long in that church or they're friend of so-and-so and all sorts of reasons we give. Not good enough. So then Paul gives directives to Timothy in verses 10 through 17. Verse 10, he talks about his own his example. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I've endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. When he says to Timothy, you followed my teaching, he's saying, you're aware of it. You've been keeping tabs on it. You know what's been going on. You know what's been happening with my life and all that I've gone through. So, Paul knows what true godliness looks like, as opposed to the fake godliness, the religiosity of the fakes. And so then he says something general, some general application, verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a Bible promise. I mentioned this before. Some of you might still have, and often they're like, they look like they're in little bread loaves, and inside there's these promise verses, and it's lovely. I love God's promises, and this is one of them. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I wasn't told that the first day when I came to know the Lord. I found out eventually that this is true. While evil people and imposters, the fakes, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Note, 
that however Timothy was going to deal with this, this issue of evil people and fakes would continue and have continued to our day. But those who desire to live a godly life in the Messiah Jesus will be persecuted. Those who truly live according to God's truth, trusting in Jesus and walking with him, will experience pushback in life. We may not be sent to the rack or thrown to the lions, but they'll be pushed back, pushed back. I fear that many believers have no idea how to deal with pushback. We run and hide. We complain. We give in. And I don't see how that's an option. There's a way to behave, but we need to expect the pushback from the darkness. It will happen. Paul continues, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul sees fit to remind Timothy something that he already knows. That which he's learned through the scriptures. Why would Paul have to remind Timothy, a church leader, to remember what he's learned in the Bible? Because we forget. We just do. And we needed to be reminded. Pressure has a way of, of doing things to us. It's so easy to say, oh, I'll be strong when the pressure comes, until the pressure comes. And all of a sudden we begin to act like a different person. Well, actually we're finding out what we might be really made of. And before that it was just words. Thankfully with God... There's, there's restoration and there's forgiveness when we buckle under pressure. This, this term Paul uses here, uh, how the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise for salvation, like salvation wisdom. The wisdom of those who have been rescued by Jesus and are part of his mission on earth. It's not just knowing what you need to know to get right with God or to get saved, as we often say. It's the scriptures enable us to navigate this life effectively. And to ignore the scriptures is to ask for trouble. Verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Paul emphasizes the origin of the scriptures, that it's, that it's inspired by God, and it's effective that we might live godly lives. And not just be nice people, but it's having God-given equipment in the midst of great opposition 
I've referenced this verse, these two verses uh, before. It's be, they become theme verses for me for one of my greatest burdens. I believe the Lord's given to me to help people understand that all Scripture applies to all of life. When Paul speaks about all Scripture to Timothy, he's talking about what we now call the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet. And yet most of us don't think that we can go to the Old Testament for the equipment that we live, to, uh, the equipment that we need to live effective, godly lives. Paul certainly thought so, and I believe he was right. The New Testament, of course, is equally important, but the New Testament is built on the foundation of the Old Testament, and so we need to know the whole Bible. And so then that begs the question: Are we truly living according to God's word? There are great cultural and social pressures upon people today seeking to make us conform to an agenda that I don't fully understand. These forces are trying to control what we think and what we say. We have signs that they're seeking And I don't say there's a particular person doing this, but these forces are seeking to control what's what's being said from the pulpit. What could be taught and what could not be taught. We live in a day that's now been called cancel culture, where issues are no longer discussed. They're banned. And then people who hold different views are villainized and are pushed aside, treated like they don't even deserve to live. And we know what happens when a society thinks that certain people don't deserve to live, we're not too far from, you can make your own conclusion. We must not give in to the cultural pressure that contradicts the word of God. Now most of us, not talking about people in this room, Most, can I say that? I suspect that there are many believers who are so illiterate when it comes to the Bible, they don't even know when the Bible, when God's word's being challenged. So how could they even stand up for God's word when they don't even know what God's word says, let alone what it means, let alone what that's supposed to, the implications of how to live that out? We are more filled with social media posts, TV shows, movies, and other information than we are the Word of God. I love a good story, and I love a good movie. But I do my best when I, when I read a story, watch a movie, I try to look at it through a biblical lens because I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be duped. And I don't want to compromise. And I also want to engage the culture we're in because people are so desperate to know the truth, whether they realize it or not. So in the next few weeks, my plan, God willing, is to look further into how can we best be immersed in God's word and understand in such a way that it can make the difference in our lives that it should. May God help us in these days to know him, to know his word, and to live accordingly whatever the cost. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for, for yourself, for what your Son has done for us in rescuing us 
for your word that you've provided as our equipment that we might be able to live effective godly lives. Open our hearts to your word, Lord, and by the power of your spirit, may we know you and your word like never before. That we would not be taken in by the fakes and the imposters, but rather we would stand strong in our day. And that we would be able to resist the pressures to conform to that which is not good, not of you, not true. We look to you, Lord. Have mercy on us all. Would you bless this congregation? Would you bless this city that, that we might be able to stand strong in these days? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca Thank you.